Good to see you today. Uh, before we um, go live here, let's see, announcements. There's been a few uh, excellent questions um, about our, our new deaconess and two corrections for that. One, she's not new. Two, she's not technically a deaconess yet. She is a deaconess intern. Um, and Jen, are you here in this room? I saw you walking down the hallway. No, she's not. So Jen Sukula, um, uh, been a member here. Uh, her and her husband met at Advent, actually. Uh, church is a great place to meet your future spouse. So if you know of uh, any uh, single ladies or single men, uh, never be afraid to introduce them to each other. That's a good thing, okay? Um, Jen has been a professor of trumpet uh, with a specialty in jazz uh, music uh, for many years, has her doctorate. And uh, this last year, uh, decided to make her career change and uh, is now currently enrolled this fall up at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne in the Deaconess program. Uh, that's a two-year program. Uh, so pending successful completion of that program in the spring of 2022, uh, she will be eligible for a call to serve a parish uh, somewhere. Wink, 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 wink. So... Uh, enough said about that. So as an intern, she is not paid staff uh, here at Advent. Some people have said, oh, we've got, a, we've got a new deaconess. Can we have her do this and do that? Have patience, Padawan. She is, she is in training, uh, and so her coursework will focus on different boards, different committees, the school, uh, you know, learning how the church office works, learning that the pastors actually don't just work on Sunday morning, you know, all those kinds of things. So she's kind of going, we have a, a, a very specific process for that. So um, so you'll see her around, um, and uh, she is, uh, they actually have, deaconesses have uh, uh, just kind of a, 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 it's a little bit like a uniform, if you will. It's kind of a, a blue color uh, with a different cross on whether they're an intern or whatever. So we're going to do kind of an installation for her as intern sometime soon in the next couple of weeks. So You'll, we'll, we'll put something in the newsletter and the emailed announcements about that as well. But because I had a few questions, I figured I might as well just go ahead and get that out of the way, okay? Uh, don't forget we've got Ladies' Night Out that is coming up here uh, next week, right? Ladies' Night Out? I think that's October. Yeah, uh, this the Thursday of this week, this coming week. I don't have a calendar in front of me. Okay, okay. So there's a sign-up for it. Um, the fellowship committee uh, board just needs to know uh, whether you're planning on attendance. So they know how much food and stuff to provide for. Okay, um, and and I would say even if you 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 don't know and you're kind of last minute, go ahead and come. Um, so this is kind of a, a new opportunity. We have a, a small uh, ladies book club that meets together uh, and would love to grow that as well. So now you'll have uh, an additional opportunity. Uh, to uh, hang out with uh, ladies and uh, learn, study a little bit of God's Word and do some fellowship. Men's Steak Night is also starting back up, guys, in October. Uh, so I know a lot of men have asked about that. So along with the state of Indiana, we're slowly reopening things. So thanks be to God for that. May the numbers stay down and not affect us and all that other stuff. So, but uh, we're according, as, as Pastor Grady says, the thing that shall not be named. He says that a lot, so... You know what that is. So, Any other questions uh, about anything else going on at church that I can answer before we dive into the Bible? Okay, we ready to go live, young man? Oh, we are live. Well, hey, good morning, everyone. 
So we are studying the book of Daniel, um, and uh, today we're on lesson two that's been uh, handed out. Um, so hopefully everybody's got a copy. If not, we'll have it up here on the screen with you. So today we're actually going to go ahead and open up and start with chapter one uh, once we get into that. Uh, but before we begin, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. The Lord be with you. O Lord, we pray that your grace may always go before and follow after us, that we may continually be given to all good works. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. This is a great collect of the day in terms of studying the book of Daniel. Uh, We pray, may your grace always go before us and follow after us. So what we have going on here in the book of Daniel, and this this is taking place from Uh, roughly 586 uh, B.C. or so uh, to roughly uh, 539, roughly, uh, or 516 B.C. So we've got about 70 years there in the 500s B.C. that this is taking place. And what has happened now is King Nebuchadnezzar, we went through this uh, uh, research last, uh, last week, Uh, In 605 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar was just a general for his father, the Babylonian king, and King Nebuchadnezzar was uh, uh, exerting the influence and control of the Babylonian empire, okay? So this is is, uh, everything that is now east of of the Holy Lands, of the Bible Lands, so this is what we would currently know as Iraq, Iran, uh, that sort of area, Babylon, okay? So the Babylon empire was growing, was spreading. Uh, In 605, King Nebuchadnezzar's uh, father died, and King Nebuchadnezzar then became the king of Babylon. And we've all heard the name King Nebuchadnezzar, because today we're going to be introduced to the four main characters of Daniel, besides King Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to learn about Daniel, and then we're going to learn about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And that's actually their Babylonian names, so we're going to talk a little bit about uh, how that process worked. But Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel... Uh, were believers, they were uh, Israelites, if you will, and they were taken into captivity by King Nebuchadnezzar. So one of the things that was quite common back then, when another uh, nation would conquer other nations, they would, they would take all the smart people and the people that uh, could be trained, that showed great potential, and would take them back to their land for service to the empire. Okay, And I mentioned last week, very similar to how Here in the United States, we received, used, a whole bunch of German scientists after World War II. Uh, And that was a really big part of our uh, nuclear program um, and obviously led into the Cold War, and we won't get into all that history, uh, but but similar concept, except that they were taken basically against their will. So, But God's grace followed them. And so what I want you to pay attention to when you learn about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... Uh, did they mount some sort of resurrection or rebellion against the king of Babylon? They did not. They served, okay? And, uh, you know, I, I had someone not long ago that said, you know, Pastor, I'm thinking about going into, into, into public service. Um, you know, should I be conflicted about that? Because I'm, I have my confession and I have my faith. And I said, we need Christians in public service. But the one thing that you're going to have to be prepared for is that you're going to have to do what your boss asks of you, and you're going to have rules that you're going to have to follow. And yeah, there might be a time where you come up against, thus saith the Lord, and thus saith man. 
But I can tell you that the Lord will also provide for you when and if that time comes. But can a Christian serve in a non-Christian situation? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so we're going to see that today. We're going to see how God's grace went before Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're going to see how, how God used them uh, to be of great import and great influence now in the midst of this uh, the Babylonian captivity. Okay? So uh, with that in mind, let's go ahead and open up there to chat, lesson chapter 2. So our theme verse uh, for today is uh, Daniel 1, 8 to 9, and let's go ahead and read that together. You want to scroll up so they can see that? Here we go. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to God. To Daniel, sorry, not to God. Okay, so goal. We seek to be brought to a greater understanding of how we believers are to live as those who are in the world but not of the world. So the Christian's relationship to his or her government is an important part of his life here on this earth. And much of what we will learn today will help us to see how our God would have us live. So what's going on here? We've got Daniel, um, uh, Hananiah. Hananiah is, uh, would be the Hebrew name for Shadrach. Mishael. Uh, Mishael is the Hebrew name for Meshach. Azariah, which is the Hebrew name for Abednego, were among a group of promising, handsome, upper-class young men taken from their homeland to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar to be trained for his service. Okay? Um, and we think, you know, there, there's some dates that uh, get, get a little fuzzy. Most likely, they were taken somewhere in their latter teenage years, um, so most conservative scholars would say that they were between 16, 17, to 19 years of age. Okay? It's possible they could have been taken as young as 10 or 11, uh, but it makes more sense with what we know from uh, a little bit of the history and the time frame. And, uh, and all four of them basically did, lived in Babylon serving the Babylonian government, government for like 60 to 70 years. Matter of fact, the book of Daniel was not compiled by Daniel until the very end of his career, right before uh, King, King Cyrus, who conquered uh, Babylon, allowed them to return back to their homeland. And so that's where we're pretty sure that Daniel then started writing all this stuff down in preparation for uh, their return uh, back to their homeland. Okay? So thrust into a foreign culture and forced into a course of study, steeped in pagan mythology, magic, and sorcery, because they took with them not only their training, which really would have been in the Torah, the Word of God, and keep in mind for uh, young Israelite boys uh, learning to read the Word of God, that was kind of the process of confirmation. In latter Judaism, that became of what, what's known still today as bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah, that at 13, you know, roughly 8th grade, okay, somewhere around there, the scriptures are read, um, and of course, uh, it wasn't really a bat mitzvah back then, it was bar mitzvah, that's the way the, 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 the young boy would become a young man. And so in the synagogues, uh, the, the women and the children uh, would be present for the reading of the Holy Scripture, but they would normally be partitioned off. And some of you still might have heard talking with grandparents from way, way back of even Lutheran churches that were done this way, okay, or other denominations, where the women and children were on one side or to the back, and the men sat off on one side, okay, 
Don't ask me how I feel about that because I believe that's completely contradictory to Scripture, especially in light of, of the concept of family and household. But that's a longer conversation. You can read about it in the chapter in my dissertation. Um, so what they had back then is when this, this young boy, when can he go and sit with dad and the other adults? When he's able to read Holy Scripture, when he sufficiently learned Scripture and he could read from the Torah, okay, uh, at that point then, he would have the Word of God bound upon his arm. That would be known and still is today as a phylactery. It's a little tiny box. And if you see Orthodox Jews, especially uh, young boys, you will see this. And, uh, and they take very literally that the Word of God be bound both upon the heart and upon the hand and upon the head. And so a phylactery, phylactery just means little box, has a leather strap that goes up and around the fingers, goes basically around the head and kind of over the heart. And inside that little box are actually little scrolls, okay, uh, with uh, some of the Torah. The first five books of the Bible, uh, the Pentateuch formally, um, you know, uh, and nowadays you can have everything printed pretty small, uh, so it'd be on there, but the Word of God would be bound there, okay? So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, um, you know, were most likely already learned and catechized, but now when they got to Babylon, they also had to be uh, taught and assimilated, like the Borg, into a new culture, okay? Um, so they had to learn all that. Now, now what's interesting, and we're going to get into this in the questions, these Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego um, are, are wise men. So when we talk about the wise men from the Christmas story, you've heard me mention that before. They came from the east. Most likely, these are some of the earlier uh, wise men, if you will, that were Hebrews. So how did the wise men uh, know that there would come? You know, Why were they looking for uh, a noble birth? Uh, they would have known holy scriptures. Obviously, they ended up believing it because they worshipped uh, Jesus. They gave him gifts. Uh, but these were most likely, and possibly even descendants from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We don't know. But wise men. So they studied the world. They studied God's word. Okay? All right. Let's, uh, let's just jump into Daniel. Any questions real quick before we dive into the Bible? So let's just go ahead and dive into uh, Daniel chapter 1. Okay? You're going to use that crazy academic version that I have. Okay, that's fine. Can you guys read that okay? Close enough? Okay, or just follow along in your Bibles. We are using the ESV version. Okay, um, we'll just follow along, okay? In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And just a review of dates uh, when did uh, Jerusalem get captured by the Babylonians? Anybody remember from last week? 586 B.C. Okay, 586. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his land uh, with some of the vessels in the house of God. And he brought them into the land of Shinar to the house of his God and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. So what happened to all the vessel, vessels from the temple? Where did they go? Yeah. So when Jerusalem was captured, I mean, this was talk about, you know, gutting, you know, church and rebellion. I mean, the temple was not only defiled, and if you've been with us on Tuesday morning for, or Wednesday morning for our study of Leviticus, or you've, you've studied some of that anyway, this is a really big deal, right? So the, the, the tabernacle, which again, 
uh, later was built as a temple, and there were, again, three temples, was divided into two parts. The cube, okay, was the holy of holies, the most holy place. And who was allowed to go in there? Only the high priest. How often? Once a year. Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. That's it. I tied a rope around his feet in case he did something stupid or had a heart attack so they could drag him out. Okay, that was a really big deal. So now all of God's uh, uh, holiness that had descended uh, was defiled by the Babylonians. Okay, and what was present in the most holy place? Just a review. So when we talk about the vessels that were taken away into Babylon, the Ark of the Covenant. Somebody emailed me a couple of weeks ago about the uh, different things that were contained inside the Ark of the Covenant, and and, uh, that person that asked me that question, I would also say, look at what the timing was in terms of whether this was before or after all these things were taken away to Babylon, okay? Because we have two different references in Scripture of what is contained in the Ark of Covenant, and it almost sounds like God's Word is, is wrong or in error with itself, which we know it isn't. But we have different time periods going on. So that's interesting to at least look at that. Uh, what was inside the ark that we, we know, or what does Scripture say? Okay, jar, manna. What else? Commandments, two tablets, right? So the two, two tablets that God gave to Moses. And remember, that would have been the second set. What did Moses do with the first set? He threw them down and smashed them. So we know God is a gracious God. He made a new set. We refer to those as the two tables of the law. First table, our relationship with God. We don't know what was written on what tablet, but that's commonly how we refer to and Luther does. First three commandments deal with our relationship with God, okay? The second table, the law, the fourth through tenth commandments deal with our relationship with who? Our neighbor. Very good. Okay, so we got, we got the law now is there in the Ark of the Covenant. What else? Possibly Aaron's staff, okay? Uh, which budded, uh, which flourished, which uh, God used to do a lot of amazing things, the plagues, um, you know, part of the Red Sea, all that stuff, okay? Anything else uh, that was there? There was something that would have been a great value, not in the Ark of the Covenant. What was fixed on top of the mercy seat? On each side. The bodyguard angels, Okay. Uh, and if my memory serves me, I think they were made out of solid gold. Solid gold. Okay? So you've got uh, the bodyguard angels that protect uh, God's presence on earth. Um, so it's quite possible when we, you know, we don't, it doesn't go into detail in Daniel what was taken and what was not taken. But I have a hard time imagining that uh, these Babylonian invaders wouldn't have seen solid gold and taken that away. But that's just the most holy place. Remember, is separated by a curtain. And this is what is ripped in two at the time of Jesus' death, symbolizing that we have access to God directly. We don't have to go through a priest because of of Jesus, right? We are justified in that way. Heaven is open to us. In the most holy place would be the other two-thirds of the building. What was present there that they would have taken away? There was a golden lampstand. How many candles were on it? Seven candles. Okay, that's why, again, when you go to church, Normally, you'll see candles in, in multiples of seven of some way, shape, or form. We have six on a regular basis now, uh, thanks to a, a wonderful craftsman in our congregation. Our seventh candle is the Paschal candle, uh, which is brought out and used not only during the time of Easter, but for uh, baptisms and uh, funerals. Okay, So that's, that's why we've got that number up there, just in case you've wondered, why do we have extra candles? Okay, So that's synonymous with the temple. What else was in the uh, holy place? The what? 
uh, that would have been outside, uh, uh, so they, they might have taken that. There would have been um, a, a basin uh, for washing. Um, that was not in the holy place, but it was at the entrance, um, and so that's possible. In the holy place, you had uh, the lampstand. You had a censer, and I believe that was a golden censer. Somebody can correct me if they want to look that up. Censer, incense was burning constantly, okay, uh, symbolizing the prayers of the faithful. Okay, also made things smell good because what was being done at the tabernacle in the temple on a regular basis? Slaughter of animals. Okay, uh, if you've ever, uh, uh, yeah, it's just smelly business. Okay, uh, but you did have the steaks on the grill, so you had the fat burning, you know, and the other stuff and the grains and that sort of thing. Okay, um, and there was uh, something else still inside the holy place table of showbread. How many pieces of bread? 12 symbolizing 12 tribes of Israel, okay? Uh, and, uh, and that bread would have been eaten by the priests as well, okay? So they probably took some bread with them. I doubt it lasted very long, uh, but it was pretty good, okay? And, of course, all this, you know, uh, the way God had designed uh, both the tabernacle and the temple um, is they were inlaid with precious metals. So when we hear of them coming in and taking, you know, we've just listed maybe a handful of things, if there was precious metal anywhere, you think they would have taken that? Pried it off the wall? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so they probably did do that. Um, so we've got all these vessels, okay? They placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king, verse 3, commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, Youths without blemish, blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. That's a mouthful, okay? So uh, Hezekiah would have been uh, one of the kings uh, at the time, uh, and quite possible that Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Bendigo, uh, were possibly of the royal family. Uh, we, we don't know specifically. So um, these four that are mentioned here in this book could have been part of the royal family. They could have just been handsome and smart young men okay, um, that were capable of learning. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. So look at how uh, Nebuchadnezzar dealt with uh, these people, especially these highfalutin smart young men. Um, they ate the king's food which meant a couple of things. One, they were, they were considered to be guests, even though they were captives. So perhaps he did. What were some of the reasons maybe that King Nebuchadnezzar did this? Why would he have fed them from his own table? They were captives. He might have given it to them first to make sure it wasn't poisoned. That's quite possible. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good answer. What are some other reasons? Yep. Yeah. I mean, you know, what, what, what better way to slowly ingratiate yourself uh, with someone that is your captive than to kind of open up uh, your life, uh, feed them well, pamper them, make them think that you're really kind of doing them a favor, okay? Um, there's also a little bit of indoctrination, right? So, I mean, if you've traveled overseas, what have you tried to do wherever you've traveled to? You've tried to eat the local food, right? 
perhaps you even, you know, did took a little Rosetta Stone class ahead of time, or you you broke out your uh, grammar book for German or French from high school, and you hadn't you had to dust it off because it was pretty dusty, you know, just to so you knew a few words, right? Because you wanted to feel like you were you didn't want to be looked at as a foreigner, an outsider, right? So even though they're captive there, they're certainly going to be. Um, for anyone that's knowledgeable and inquisitive, this is a whole new culture. And granted, I'm going to make the best of my situation, which I think anybody would say. Um, any other reasons you think that the king was, is so nice to them? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Wanted to impress them. Um, and uh, yeah, so, which is a pretty smart move on King Nebuchadnezzar's part in many respects. Yep. That's the first time I've heard somebody compare Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to an ox or a donkey. But I think that's a really good comparison. You're going to take care of it, right? Um, you're you're going to take care of it. Okay, so you buy a new car or a car that's new to you. If you're like me, you want to make sure the tires are in good shape and the fluids are good. And you just you kind of pamper it and, and do that. Why? Because you really like it and you want it to last a long time. So he's kind of doing that with Shadrach, Meshach, and so there I one up you. I compared him to a car. So just just joking, <laughs> just joking. Okay, back to the text. Uh, so the king assigned them a daily portion of the food he ate, the wine he drank. They were to be educated for three years. Now this is interesting. So we have throughout all of Scripture, you know, the, this this kind of uh, concept of education. Three years is a number that occurs quite a bit. You know, um, uh, how many years were the disciples with Jesus? Three years, uh, and that's, of course, by God's design. How many years did the Apostle Paul spend studying before he began his ministry? Three years, okay? Uh, so just kind of pay attention to that. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying that specifically means anything, but um, our seminary education, you know how long our pastors are in classes for? Three years, yep, and they do one year of, of internship or vicarage, okay? Um, so just, just, just kind of interesting. So they've got three years now, they're being schooled. And at the end of the time, they were to stand before the king. This phrase, stand before the king, means like in his court. They're part of his noble court. So remember, a king, when he decides affairs, he does that from his, from his throne, right? Any Game of Thrones fans in here? Okay, I'm not going to encourage it because it's full of really, really bad, sinful, unchristian stuff. But the, the, the simple concept of the books and the series is I want to have control over the Iron Throne because that's where all the power and authority flows from. So in the king's court, the king is ruling from his throne. Okay, um, And so now these young men are being trained uh, to uh, counsel uh, and to do that. Now the Babylonians were very unique, and I think the Romans uh, learned a lot of things from them. Um, and that as they conquered other nations... Uh, they really tried to learn and assimilate their cultures and take that and put it to work for them, okay? Um, so that, that was very, very smart in that way, okay? Um, verse, uh, let's see, they were to be educated for three years, and at a the time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, and here's the names we read, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he actually called, did you know this? Belteshazzar. So technically, you know, when we say Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we're using Daniel's Hebrew name, but then we're using Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
which is the way I've memorized it from childhood in terms of Sunday school uh, lessons, were their Babylonian names. So Daniel's actual name is Belteshazzar. You may not have known that. It's his Babylonian name. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. Okay? Just pop your hand up if you've got a question. I'm going to just keep reading. Verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Why? What do you think Daniel meant? I don't want to defile myself. Possibly. Yeah, possibly. So this could have been food that was offered to uh, Baal. Okay. Food, perhaps, that was blessed by Baal. Okay. So, so maybe Nebuchadnezzar was raised with a little table prayer, right? Uh, come, Lord Baal, be our guest, and let these gifts to us be blessed, right? So perhaps that he, he, he blessed the food in the name of Baal, and, and, and Daniel, Belteshazzar, heard that, and he's like, yeah, right? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, get behind me. Okay. Possibly, possibly, okay, what else? Yeah, it could be a totally different diet. Did God's people have limits on what they could and could not eat? Yes, they did. And that's where it's good for you to go back and study, okay? Especially the first five books of the Pentateuch, okay? And to see the types of of things that God back then did not allow his people to eat, okay? Now, lest you get on a crazy, you know, I'm going to be more Christian and follow that diet, you need to go to the New Testament where God tells Peter to get up, Peter, go kill something and eat it, and, and don't worry about the Old Testament law because that's been fulfilled by Christ, okay? So there's lots of different types of diets out there, and I'm sure we could spend the next half hour with you standing up and giving testimony to what you think is the best diet, okay? Um, and, uh, but so there were limits on what they couldn't eat. So perhaps some of the food in the Babylonian diet was food that was on the you shall not eat list. Okay, Um, perhaps as well, remember, uh, for the Hebrews, there was a really big thing when it came to meat. What was the really big thing that I'm so glad that Jesus came and died and rose again for us? Yes, what about steak? But before we get to bacon, what about steak? How can I eat my steak now? I could eat it rare, and I like it rare. Okay, I like it cold and bloody in the middle. I know that's gross for some of you. Just walk my steak by the fire. That's how I like it. Okay, I like my hamburgers the same way, but I know you got to be careful where you get that. But, you know, you couldn't do that back then. So anything with blood, God said, nope, it's got to be cooked all the way through, no blood. So maybe the Babylonians were, maybe that's where I descend from. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, okay, so that was part of it. You brought up another one. Bacon! They couldn't eat bacon. I mean, seriously, what kind of life is that, right? So, I mean, and the best thing you make with bacon is a peanut butter bacon milkshake. You didn't know that, did you? Oh, you got you got to try one of those. They're the best. You can ask for one at Sonic, and they'll make it for you. Peanut butter shake, and they'll put bake. Oh my goodness, it's so good. Um, so anyway, let's. You're getting me hungry now. <laughs> We're studying the Bible here. All right, so. Um, yeah, so, so bacon, I mean, so you got all these other things, shellfish, um, you know, uh, differences between whether you've got split hooves, 
or, or not split hooves. So, you know, there's a number of different things in that. So uh, for Daniel, that was important. That tells us that Daniel, and of course, he refers to himself here. He's writing this book. He refers to himself as Daniel, not Belteshazzar. Okay? So even though the king changes his name, how does Daniel refer to himself? By his Hebrew name. So Daniel now is firm in his faith. So he stays firm in his faith, um, and he simply, he goes and asks. He doesn't demand. He doesn't say, I can't do this. And so what's the lesson here that might be learned by all of us when we're serving in the world? (laughs) Uh, A boss, an employer, a government that does not share our beliefs. Okay, and we, we come up against something that our conscience is against, what's maybe the first thing we can do? Ask. Don't demand. Ask. And so that's what Daniel does. Daniel doesn't say, this is as far as I can go, no more. You're going to have to deal with it. You know, put me in the lion's den right now or the fiery furnace. The first thing Daniel says is he asks. Okay? Because what we learn here is that Who still cares for you? Who can provide for you in ways that you could never provide for? So give God an opportunity to act. Give him an opportunity to, to, you know, send the Holy Spirit, who is the unseen most powerful force there is, okay, to let him do his work, okay? Um, Okay, and God gave Daniel favor. So now we learn verse 9. God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. So you've got the big kahuna, the king's right-hand man. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, and why don't you read it with me? You ready? I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. So what's the eunuch worried about? He's worried about himself. And he's worried Daniel is going to not eat the good food, okay? That Daniel's not going to be, you know, plump and have rosy cheeks like the rest of the young man. I mean, whatever it is, you know, he's worried that Daniel's going to be unhealthy uh, if he sticks to his guns, Um, okay? So then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned, and here's the names again. So um, why do the names occur so often, you think, right in this first chapter? I'm going completely off script here, but this, this, this is, these are important things to, to, to make. Why are the names Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego mentioned so many times already in those so, these so few verses? Come on, lawyers. Their faithfulness is remembered. Okay. So there's a little bit of legality in terms of these are the people that are part of this story. But I would submit to you the reason that these names are mentioned over and over again is Daniel wants to make sure that this history and this story gets told to future generations. These are the people, these are the historical figures. And ironically, as I've taught you the last week or two weeks, Daniel is one of the, one of the first books that historical critics, critics, people that just use history to determine the truth of the Bible, this is one of the first books to get tossed out of the 66. They'll say it's all conjecture, very little. 
okay? Um, and I would come at it from a completely different way, along with Luther and some of the church fathers, that this is a very pivotal book, very important to understanding what it means to be in the world but not of the world, also how God can work in the midst of being around non-Christians and dealing with uh, our struggle, the constant battle against sin, death, and the devil, against the devil, the world, and your sinful nature. Okay, um, so Daniel now is writing this account. Uh, these are the men that are named. Okay, um, and so this 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 sets the stage. This is like in the in the you know the um, you know <laughs> I was I was looking looking through our um, uh, our our trust. Our, we we have a we have a kind of a living trust uh, estate plan, right? In case something happens to my wife or I. Um, and uh, what's mentioned quite a bit at the beginning, everybody is named, who they are. Uh, along with other titles. So Daniel is doing that as well here. Okay, let's, let's move on. I probably emphasize that too much. Test your servants, verse 12, for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So what's Daniel suggesting? A test, Right? So we already know that the chief eunuch here um, is, is worried more for his own skin, and he's inclined to go around, uh, along with it. Uh, but Daniel simply says, hey, uh, okay, how about we do this? So Daniel kind of offers a little bit of a compromise, uh, or a little, not, maybe not a compromise is the right word, an opportunity to put the eunuch's mind at ease and says, okay, for 10 days. And 10 days, to be fair, is not that much time. <laughs> they must have been eating bacon every day. It's like that guy that ate Big Macs for 30 days in a row, right? Um, you know, so I mean, I could have a White Castle every day for 30 days, but that's a whole different thing. And I would not smell good and probably not look good either. But then with White Castles, you can't just eat one. You've got to have a sack. So, okay, so 10 days, uh, let us just eat vegetables uh, and just water. Okay, so not, they're not me drinking, you know, any of their microbrews or the really good bourbons that are being shipped all the way across the sea from Kentucky or anything like that. Uh, so just water and vegetable. Uh, so he listened to them in this matter, verse 14, and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. Okay. Now, English translation here from uh, the Hebrew and later on the Aramaic doesn't always work the best. Um, uh, fatter wouldn't necessarily just mean like fat, fat. It would be just, uh, it could, could also mean that uh, their musculature was more defined, okay? So their muscles looked fatter, okay? So we have a connotation when we use the word fat in English, right? Um, so, uh, so the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables, okay? Uh, so if you're one of the vegetarians people, you're probably eating this up, right? You're like, this is it right here. <laughs> it worked for Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach. Okay, pastor, stop eating your steak and your white castles. And Verse 17, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. Okay, um, so what do we learn here from that text? Who assisted them? God did. Right. I think God sometimes, especially in our American secular culture, gets forgotten even by us Christians. Um, you know, the, the, the Lord, you know, will provide these things for you, sometimes help you understand things that you're struggling with. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I'm, I've been at a little bit of an impasse here the last few days with a particular thing that I've been working on on my, on my, my studies. And, uh, and, and finally, just the other day, 
Um, I, I closed the books. It was it was it was Friday afternoon. It had been you know every day straight. And I told Juanita, I said, I'm done. Um, I'm I'm going to go home and take the afternoon off. And on my way home, you know, I'm driving home and <laughs> driving on the street. I said, you know, I haven't asked God to help me with this yet. Maybe I need to do that. You know, and and so I did. So I just had a little prayer while I was driving. You know, Lord, I I can't I can't figure this out. Um, I, I'm trying to decide. You know what's right, what's wrong, what's a good way to go with it, and uh, and we talked about that last week as well. But I, th- I think that's that's something to continue to encourage you to do. You have a God who wants to be involved in your life. Invite Him, ask Him, talk to Him, because He does have power and can help you. Now I'm not I'm not going to presume to know how He's going to do that. Same with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But Scripture tells us over and over again that God does, right? Um, and so just take that on faith, that the Lord is, is there to help you. So it doesn't matter what challenge you have, uh, take that to the Lord in prayer, um, and, and, and he will open, close doors, windows, whatever. Okay? So the Lord gave them learning and skill, literature, and wisdom. God also works, we know, um, you know through means. And so God gave them learning and wisdom, even through Babylonian teachers. So for those of you who, you know, you, you go off to, to, to college or university or you have a job, you know, continuing education class, and you're like, this teacher is all washed up, or they're so non-Christian, or they're just so wrong, I can't learn anything from them. <laughs> God says, hey, settle down, eat your vegetables, drink your water, and I might actually teach you something from someone that, you know, you may not agree with or might be. There might be something to learn from someone. And, and, and so um, I think that's, you know, God can work through that way. So I've had plenty of teachers and professors that I, I have thought were off base and, 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 and uh, didn't agree with, uh, you know, just cooperate and graduate. But in looking back at that, that was, that was really good because the Lord helped me to learn and understand things from either the different side of the argument for the sake of debate uh, or, or directed me, you know, to do that. So, yes, so God can work in that way, okay? Uh, okay, at the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, so that's the end of how many, how long? So after three years, so chapter one covers basically three years, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So here they're mentioned again, okay? And their Hebrew names are mentioned, okay? Um, now we know from the study of history that this was, this was you know, th- this, this training would have been done for people that were brought from all cultures and faiths, okay? So King Nebuchadnezzar is in, inspecting his troops, his charges, his uh, people that he's been grooming, and the four that stand out are the four that worship the one true God. And they're the most polite, okay? They're the most learned. They're the most wise. They, they make an immediate impression, okay? And, 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 I, and I still try to talk to my boys about that on a regular basis. What type of impression are you making when you meet people for the first time? It's why we tell you to tuck in your shirt, okay? Or make sure that your socks match, okay? Uh, or that your hair is combed. Um, you know, I mean, ultimately, are those, you know, the biggest things? No, they're not. Can they help? Sure. Okay. I mean, don't be anal and don't be vain about it. 
Um, but, but now in speech, be polite in how you talk. And so we see these four here uh, who have gone through, you know, the Babylonian university, right? Ra, ra, ra. So uh, what would the Babylonians, what do you think their mascot was for the university? Babylonian dragons? The what? Lions? Babylonian lions? Yeah, okay. I was just curious. You think of stuff like that when you're studying the Bible? I do. I know it's crazy, but you're just like, what if? You know, okay, all right. Uh, let's get back in. So, therefore, they stood before the king. 20. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the queen, king inquired of them, right? So, maybe he asked them to do some early pre calc equations, you know, or he dives into Babylonian philosophy, uh, you know, or he questions them on the matter of the Babylonian court system. Okay, the Babylonians actually had a, had they, there were a lot of things that were uh, well-defined, okay? Um, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. Now, keep in mind again, magicians and enchanters in English, we think a magician, you know, we think either a guy that pulls rabbits out of a hat, you know, a sleight of hand, enchanters, you know, we automatically think of... Uh, you know, either sorcery or that sort of thing. It means more than that. It means wisdom. It means, think scientist in some ways, right? Um, you know, so this would be how, like, Bryson DeChambeau, if you're a PGA golf guy, you know, stands out compared to, I don't know, take your pick, someone who just swings the club and doesn't really get into a lot of the science. Uh, you know, so Brian would be more of that kind of, uh, uh, you know, magician, enchanter, if you will, um, and that may not be fair, but, but someone who studies it, engineering, um, that sort of thing, okay? And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So in verse 21, so uh, again, Daniel would have been taken somewhere around, uh, you know, uh, 605 or thereafter. Jerusalem fell in 586. Uh, Cyrus then would have started to, uh, let's see, temple is rebuilt in 516, Cyrus, yeah, Cyrus conquers Babylon in 539. So you're looking, you know, so he would have been there 60, somewhere between 55 to 70 years that Daniel would have served uh, in that court, okay? All right, questions on chapter 1. Is it 1028 already? I'm sorry. I didn't even look at my watch. Yep, Keith. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, that, that's, uh, I don't know if you all heard what Keith said, but he said, uh, you know, gr a great, uh, correct me here, comparison or way of looking at, um, you know, the magicians and those who are trying to duplicate uh, the plagues, Correct. Um, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, Professor Steinman uh, from uh, Concordia Up in River Forest, who wrote one of the well, great commentaries on Daniel, um, often says that Moses was really kind of the first wise men of the Bible. And so now we see kind of following in the Moses tradition, uh, Daniel, and I'm going to use their Babylonian names because I haven't memorized their Hebrew yet. I'll do that for you. So Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego um, follow in this tradition, uh, and God works through them. Um, so, yep. Anything else? 
We just don't have enough time. I could study the Bible all day long. It's good stuff. Okay, let's stand and close with the Lord's Prayer. I'll pick up and hit a few more questions there that I passed out. Uh, Study that on your own. Uh, Use the handout that I gave there uh, to uh, go through anything that I missed. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you. Amen.